I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Our text today is verse 17 through verse 25. We are continuing in our series in 1 Timothy on distinctives of a gospel-shaped church. And we've been looking at this text verse by verse as we've gone through the letter. And today we come to the proper treatment of pastors in the church. You say, well, how does this apply to me as a follower of Jesus? Because uh, admittedly, this focuses on a specific area of ministry. It applies directly to you because it relates to your health spiritually, your opportunity to grow as disciples, and the unity and the health and the focus of the church overall. So we want to consider it carefully and see what God's Word has to say to us. Uh, God gave pastors and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ as we reach unity in the faith and maturity in Christ's fullness. I think there are two extremes that sometimes arise in churches as it relates to their pastors. One extreme is to put pastors on a pedestal to the point that they have no accountability to anyone. The other extreme is to not have a healthy respect for pastors and make their ministries difficult. I think a healthy dynamic exists when pastors are serving as under-shepherds of Jesus, uh, faithfully exercising their spiritual gifts and leading and serving and caring for the church, coupled with people in churches who understand how God has ordered his church for unity and purpose of mission. There's a pastor by the name of Charles Jefferson who lived from 1860 to 1937. For nearly 40 years, he pastored the Broadway Tabernacle in New York City. It is said of Pastor Jefferson that he combined effective preaching with consistent pastoral work, and he built a strong testimony in a difficult place. His ministry left behind 12 books in addition to his pastoral work, And he delivered a particular set of lectures in 1912 that became the book, The Minister as Shepherd, The Privileges and Responsibilities of Pastoral Leadership. In a reprinted version of it, Warren Wiersbe, the well-known Bible teacher who is now also with the Lord, who served at Moody Bible for a time and then went on to have a national Bible teaching ministry, Uh, identified uh, Jefferson in his introduction as a man who was a faithful shepherd and expositor of the word. And he said this, he said, we're being told these days that the church is dying, and this is Wearsby writing, that we must get a new look or a new message or we will disappear completely. Without closing his eyes to the changes around him, Jefferson goes straight to the Bible for the answer. Let the preacher be a pastor and the flock will strengthen itself and increase. No gimmicks, nothing spectacular, simply a man dedicated to God going in and out among the people with the refreshing word of life. And then Wiersbe concluded with this, may the great shepherd of the sheep give us grace to be faithful under shepherds, to seek the lost sheep, to lead and feed the flock, to nurture the precious lambs, to protect them from the wolves and to help them mature to the glory of God. In the first half of 1 Timothy 5, we considered characteristics of godly relationships in the church. And we thought about how the church is a family, and in that family structure, 
we're to treat everyone in the church as we would a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, or a child in the faith. We have this incredible privilege to experience the joys and the sorrows of life together as we share in the fullness of faith. And we also have the opportunity to disciple and shepherd one another, to encourage one another to follow and to grow in Jesus. The Apostle Paul turns his attention again now in the verses before us uh, to deal with elders in the church in verses 17 to 25. And I believe the words elder, overseer, and shepherd in the context of the church are interchangeable. And they refer to the same office with different designations. I shared that with you as we started into this pastoral epistle. Uh, The Bible mentions shepherds and shepherding some 18 times in the New Testament. The word that we commonly use, pastor, comes from a Latin word that means shepherd. And I'm going to use the word pastor or pastors in this message consistently as our common designation, referring to the office of elder or the men who serve as shepherds in the local church. Now, one thing I know is that pastoral ministry is treacherous. Depending on whose statistics you look at, uh, more than 4,000 churches close in the United States every single year. In 2020 alone, 20,000 pastors left the ministry altogether. And 50% during that particularly difficult time said they would consider leaving if they had another way of making a living. The Albany Institute conducted research that showed that 50% of pastors drop out of the ministry in their first five years of serving, and that 90% of all pastors will not make it to what we would consider to be a traditional retirement age and still be in the ministry. As it relates to the tenure of pastors, the average stay of a lead pastor is still hovering somewhere around 3.6 years, less than four years, and in some cases it's far shorter even than that. And pastors have the responsibility to minister to congregations But congregations also have the responsibility to minister to their pastors. So I'm going to ask and answer this question in the next few minutes. How is the church to properly treat their pastors? And I want to begin reading with verse 17 and verse 18. The scripture says, The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18 For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. So first of all, the church is to honor the pastors among you. Honor indicates respect, and the stipulation for honor is very clear. It's reserved for those who are good leaders, the ones who rule well, the ones who do a good job before the Lord And in the church. Pastors are to preside according to their call and their spiritual gifting. They're to apply wisdom, ability, and faithfulness as they guide, direct, and lead the church. Peter provides further insight into what pastoral leadership should look like in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to read the first five verses of 1 Peter 5 to give us additional context. He said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ 
as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pastors are to shepherd the flock of God. And the first part of leadership is the shepherd feeding and tending to the sheep, caring for the needs of the sheep. And this is similar to the words that Jesus spoke to Peter in Peter's restoration. Pastors are to serve not under compulsion, but willingly. There's this compelling call that comes from the Holy Spirit to be in the role of a pastor. And that call is to be followed and to serve the church from a heart that loves God and loves people. If you don't love people, you're not going to go very far in the role of a pastor. Pastors serve not for dishonest gain, and they do not serve by lording it over others, but by example. I think this is a recognition that significant authority goes along with the role, but with that significant authority comes significant responsibility, and it's to be exercised with humility. And Peter says that they will receive a crown of glory if they've been faithful, a crown that will not fade away. So pastors who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor. This is in relation to the respect, and it's also uh, in relation to how they are cared for. The word double means twofold. The idea of double may refer to the double portion that the oldest family member would receive as an inheritance. Honor is given, according to Paul, in two ways, proper respect and then fair and generous compensation in recognition of a job well done. As it relates to proper respect, I think in general that respect can include a number of things. Respect includes prayer and spiritual support of the pastors who are serving. This is the responsibility of the church because it is a role that requires spiritual power Uh, There need to be a lot of prayers behind that, and those prayers are well-needed and well-placed. Respect includes love and encouragement of the pastor and his family uh, to continue in the race. Uh, Respect would include not talking poorly of a pastor or their family who are doing their best to serve you. And we all know that gossip and disloyalty in churches are real problems. Uh, There's not a pastor who's been in it very long that's not well-familiar with uh, the country song, you find out who your friends are. And that happens pretty quickly in pastoral ministry, and it becomes quite evident. And I would say that one of the challenges that God provides the pastor in the church, uh, maybe to keep him humble, uh, is to fairly and faithfully serve people, some of whom among the people are not trustworthy. They don't necessarily have the best interest of the pastor or their family in mind, or they simply just don't like you. And I would say that's even more of a challenge when it comes to uh, the wife and the family of the pastor than the pastor himself. And pastors who last become battle-hardened, and they have this significant amount of resolve. Because if you live and die by what anybody thinks of you other than what Christ thinks of you, then you're going to be miserable in the ministry. 
The preacher Stuart Briscoe wrote a list of qualifications to be a pastor, and he included this in part. He said, the pastor must have a mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. And that is definitely true. Uh, Respect includes maintaining reasonable expectations for a Messiah. There's Uh, for a pastor. There's only one Messiah and his name is Jesus. Your pastor is limited because all of us are broken and limited human beings and we only have so much capacity. And the role I think of every pastor is to continually point people's eyes and hearts toward the true Messiah, Jesus, the only one who is worthy of our praise. Understand God shares his glory with no person God is a jealous God, and we are looking to Jesus together. We just have different roles in what we're doing in the church uh, to be able to faithfully follow him. And then I think respect includes a cooperative spirit to work with the pastor in the ministry of the church and to support the work of God in that place. Respect is earned and respect is given. The leadership of this church and the people who can be counted on as trustworthy have a high level of respect for the role of the pastor. And that's important as we serve God together. Paul also addresses, though, fair and generous compensation. And he says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Now, the first quote about an ox and grain is from Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. It has both a specific and a general application. Putting a muzzle on an ox uh, would prevent it from eating grain while it was working. And it might save a little bit of grain, but the ox couldn't gather the strength that he needed while he worked. So the conclusion is it's reasonable for those who labor to be able to devote their time and their energy to the church. Now, obviously, this is different depending on the context. Uh, Paul himself uh, labored with his hands so that he could freely serve the churches. There is a multitude of pastors who are in bivocational roles. There are pastors who serve by their own choice many times with no compensation at all. And then there are those who are dedicated to the ministry of the Lord and are able and blessed to be able to do that full time. And that's what Paul is referring to here. The second quote comes from Jesus in Luke chapter 10. And it reinforces Paul's teaching that pastors who work hard um, will be paid for their efforts. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 14, he says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living uh, by the gospel. Now, unfortunately, uh, there has been an attitude by some churches, not this church, but by some churches over time, uh, Lord, you keep the pastor humble and we'll keep him poor. Now, some of you who have served in vocational capacities, you could give a testimony of that. You've been in that very place. Cross Lanes Baptist Church is a generous church in every regard. This is a church that freely gives and freely shares and is generous in the resources that God has entrusted to us. And for that, we are deeply grateful. And I want to point out here that the parallels used in this passage are work parallels. You understand, there's some lazy pastors. There are men who take advantage of their calling and the place they've been put in, and they don't labor and they don't work hard. But here, pastors are compared to oxen, beasts of burdens. 
and then to farmhands. And I think those pastors who don't work hard are the exception. I think the majority tend at times to overdo it rather than underdo it. Uh, but at any rate, he compares pastors to oxen and then to farmhands. The ministry is hard work. And I often say that I am a workhorse and not a racehorse. And here's the difference. A racehorse is usually flashy. They're good for a relatively short amount of work. And there are a lot of pastors that are racehorses. Man, they look good. They, they're flashy. It looks like it's exciting. There are things around them that just look exciting. And then it's not sustainable. The pastors who last and who can be depended on are the workhorses, day in and day out. And he says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Pastors are to dedicate themselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And listen, there's so many things that have to be taken care of in leading a church, but these are the priorities. And I say to you as a church, you should have the expectations that your pastors will work hard in this area as the priority over everything else. And just for an example, uh, preaching and teaching takes up over half of my work time every single week. And that's been the case for more than 25 years that God's given me the privilege and the opportunity to lead in the local church. If something has to be dropped or not emphasized, it cannot be preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching should be strong and it should be consistent. You as a congregation should have the expectation that those who lead you and serve you in this capacity are faithful in preaching and teaching. They work hard in this particular area. Honor the pastors among you. And now we come to verses 19 through 21. He says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. Verse 21, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Second, you as a church are to address concerns that arise with the pastors among you. I've already stated that pastors are imperfect people. And a healthy church will have a structure of accountability in place to deal with problems when they arise. Our church certainly does, and it's important. Scripture provides a process here for dealing with erring leaders. And there is a word of caution. The word of caution is because sometimes there are people who say things that are not true about pastors in the form of false accusations or even outright lies. That's the reason for the minimum stipulation in verse 19. A church should protect its pastors from false accusations. And he says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. A church should be very cautious when receiving reports or accusations against a pastor. This is not any kind of special treatment. It's simply protection against capricious accusations, and it acknowledges that church leaders are highly visible and are sometimes targets for ill-willed people or misguided gossip. Then there's a word of courage. When an accusation comes against a pastor that is biblically corroborated, the situation has to be dealt with. Let me say this to you as plainly as I possibly can. Decisions, words, 
and actions have consequences. And sometimes people in churches can be blinded by misplaced and unhealthy loyalty toward a pastor and in turn let things slide that simply are not acceptable. This happens even when those things are solidly corroborated and even when they've been admitted to by an offending pastor. When people unwisely take such a position, it is to the detriment of the person who has offended, it's to the detriment of the person who is the offender, and it's to the detriment of the spiritual health of the church. Further, it provides an additional offense to the pastors and the leadership who have sought to do the right thing before God. It's an affront to their efforts to try to follow a biblical model. Verse 20 indicates the church is to publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. Now you'll note here as this passage progresses that it applies to both pastors who lead the church and to people who are part of the church. And I say that because it's in keeping with the principles of church discipline in Matthew chapter 18. In the general ministry of correction, sinning pastors should be approached, first of all, one-on-one. The goal is repentance. The goal is accountability for the actions that have been taken. However, if they do not respond, they do not take responsibility, uh, they do not repent of what they've done, then two or three others are to bring them before them and confirm the facts. If they do not respond or repent once again and take responsibility, then it should be handled by the church. And I want you to know that things have escalated to a very serious level when it has to be taken to the church and a public rebuke has to be issued. It means at a minimum that the offending person has not owned their actions with the consequences of it. They have not repented of their sin and their presence and their actions are a spiritual cancer within the church that has to be dealt with. It is a serious matter. Now understand there are sinful actions that are permanently disqualifying from pastoral ministry and there are some that can lead to restoration. Depends on the situation. It depends on the particular incidents or pattern that has taken place. And the church has to use wisdom in determining that. And the leadership does. Here's what R. Kent Hughes wrote. He said, this may sound cold and unloving, but it must be done for the sake of the church so that others may take warning, both the minister and the congregation. And he says, this is where today's church has lost its nerve. Leaders sin with impunity and then move on to other churches and do the same thing. We must determine not to fall to such a loss of courage, but rather to lovingly confront those who are doing wrong. A lack of fortitude is not loving, but unloving. It's unloving of Christ, it's unloving of his church, and it's unloving of the offender. And then people in churches who give erring and unrepentant pastors a pass are part of the problem, not a part of the solution. Pastors who are unrepentant make a mockery of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is finally here a word of consistency in these verses. There is a solemn charge in verse 21 to apply these principles without prejudice or favoritism. 
This is a weighty charge. I want you to notice the language here. It includes God, Christ Jesus, and the elect angels as witnesses. The church and her leaders are to exercise fair and even-handed discipline. And with God as my witness, this is the approach that we seek to go by in this church. Address concerns with pastors that arise among you. And now we move to the last verses in 22 to 25. He says, don't be quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Verse 25, likewise, good works are obvious and those that are obvious cannot remain hidden. So the third part of this is to encourage purity in the pastors among you. Verse 22 indicates that there should be no rush to ordain a pastor. Time should allow gifts and callings to demonstrate themselves. And I think the reference here to sharing in the sins uh, of others relates to the responsibility of the ones who are laying hands on, the ones that are ordaining someone into the ministry, and how weighty that responsibility is. Spiritual readiness is important. And then Paul tells Timothy directly, keep yourself pure. Now, here's why this is such an important issue. If Timothy was going to observe the lives of others and call right, right, and wrong, wrong, then he should certainly pay close attention to his own life. If other people were supposed to be imitating him in the church, then certainly his life was to set a good example of, to others. Verse 23 is particularly related to his setting. Uh, you might know that in the ancient world, uh, water was often impure, and Timothy probably had a health issue that had come up from that. And the fermentation of the wine and the use of it was advisable uh, medicinally uh, for the frequent illnesses that he was dealing with. Uh, but then verse 24 and 25 remind us especially of our accountability to a holy God. There is a warning to be discerning. And here's where the warning goes. Some people's sins are obvious. Detection of sin in poor character is easy when it comes to some people. They surface and they're known, preceding them to judgment. I think this refers once again to an unrepentant attitude. It's a prideful attitude. It's the idea that you're not going to own what you've done. You're not responsible for your actions. It's always somebody else that said or did something that puts you in that position. And the judgment of God is in view. The idea that the sins of some people will precede them to judgment is a reminder that we must deal with our own sins. We must come before God with clean hands and pure hearts. Likewise, good works are obvious. Good works cannot be hidden. Where do good works come from? They come from surrendered lives. They come from lives that are humble before the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You can evaluate a tree ultimately by the fruit it produces. You can evaluate a heart by the words it speaks. 
You can evaluate a life by the actions that they take. And we need to be careful that we are living repentant lives before the Lord and we are seeking to be a pure people. And that's especially true of those who are leading you. And you as a congregation ought to encourage purity in the pastors among you. You are not extending grace when you turn a blind eye to a person who will not take responsibility for their own actions and who will not repent of what they've done. You are not extending grace. That is not biblical grace. It might be mercy, but it's not grace. And as a church, we need to take these things seriously because it affects the overall health of the church. Now I want to come to two verses we read from Hebrews chapter 12 in our time of worship. But I want us to come to Hebrews chapter 13 now in verse 7 and verse 17 before I close. And here's what the scripture says. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. And then verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Let me say this in in two ways as I close. Pastors can make church life easier or more difficult for themselves by the actions that they take. It should be a spiritually focused Uh, spirit-empowered, word-driven ministry for the good of the people, laboring and preaching and teaching, caring for the people because they love God and they love people. And one of the most sobering things in all the Bible for a pastor is the understanding that he will give an account to God for his ministry. You understand there will be a day when I will appear before a holy God I'll be responsible not only for my own life and the things that I've done and the actions I've taken and everything else along with it, but I'll be responsible and I'll be accountable for every soul that's been entrusted to my share, to my care as a shepherd of the local church. And that is a heavy weight. If there's something that would keep a pastor up at night, that's it because of the weight of the responsibility that he has. But then the flip side of this is that church members can also make church life easier or more difficult for themselves. You you can live a cooperative, prayerful, spirit-empowered life in the church with joy about you and support about what the uh, leaders of the church are attempting to do for the ministry and the mission of God. Or you can run a headwind. You can be resistant. You you can hold back always. You can be withdrawn. You can make it hard. Friend, you're making it hard for yourself. You're not making it hard ultimately for me. You're making it hard for yourself. And you're putting yourself in a position that is not good for you. It's not good for the church. It's not good for the leadership. Nobody's winning in that ultimately. And we have been called to work together. And why are we working together? Not because we're going to agree on every single thing or because... You might just love my personality, or I might just really like your personality. That's not what draws us together. The Lord Jesus Christ is what calls us together. And there is no way that a church could ever function in a healthy way if that was not the case. Because as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we're moving toward a common goal. We're moving toward an eternal focus. And as we do that, we learn to love each other. 
we deal with problems as they arise. Uh, we lead and operate the church as we should with conviction and courage. And if we fail to do that, it's going to make the church weaker as a result. And we don't want that to happen because that's going to diminish our effectiveness as servants of God. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve you as I do. I know our other, our other pastors are as well. But I want to say one more thing to you. All of us are temporary placeholders. You understand that every pastor is an interim pastor to a point. I am not indispensable. Uh, God buries the workman and the work goes on. You are not indispensable to this church. You might think that your position has put you in a place where things really just couldn't happen if, if you weren't here doing what you're doing. Well, friend, you can walk away and the church is going to continue to operate. Why? Because it's God's, it's not ours. We have no ownership in this. We have participation in it. We have investment in it. We have faithfulness in it. And we're part of the family, but it belongs to God. We are his. We belong to him. And as we realize that and we continue to look to him and we realize this life that we're in is just a vapor, it's here for a moment. We have one life to live. I've got one opportunity to live for the Lord, and I want to spend it well. And I'm not going to waste it on things that are secondary. I'm not going to waste it on things that are petty. I'm not going to waste it on things that are distracting. I'm going to come continually back to this word right here. And week in and week out, I'm going to try, try to lead you and tell you what God has said. And we're going to try our best to follow it. Because at the end of the day, we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful. And we want God to use us in this generation in this moment for his glory because that's what it's all about and reaching other people who don't yet know him father we thank you today for your word we thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit in our lives guiding us and empowering us and encouraging us and we are a broken people we are sinners saved by grace we have nothing in us that is worthy of our salvation but you through the blood of jesus have made the way for us to be forgiven, to be redeemed. Because Jesus was willing to leave the glory of heaven and come to this earth, to die on a cross in our place for our sins, to be buried in a borrowed tomb and to be raised on the third day. And we exalt his great name today. Oh God, help us to have a spirit of, of humility as we serve you, to surrender our hearts to you, that we would be useful to you. And God, we are here for a season. We are here and life is truly but a vapor. And we want to use this moment that you've entrusted to, to us. And we want to use it well. So I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leaders here. I thank you for every person that serves. Uh, the people who serve with our uh, children's ministry and our student ministry and adults. And the people who are... Uh, unsung servants that are behind the scenes making this work go. The people who are giving uh, faithfully and sacrificially of their resources so that the mission of God can go forward, so that we can uh, see uh, brothers uh, and sisters uh, baptized and follow you from among all the nations. And I pray that would be what we are about. Help us in that, Lord. Draw us close to you as we uh, find our hope in Jesus. And uh, Lord, protect us from the enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And help us to live life and life abundant, uh, Jesus, that you've given us. And we pray all these things in your name.
Amen.